back on with another solo podcast today, Legends. Going to talk about load management today. I'm going to do a little bit of a review. I'll give you guys an, an insight into a review that I quickly did on my three highest performing clients who are winning, getting results at AIC, Hatter, GNCC racing at the highest level in our sport. So I also wanted to just mention, like if you listen to my podcast that I put out yesterday with Luke, Luke was one of my very, very first clients. He still is one of my clients in one of my very first clients who began training with me five, a little bit over five years ago now. And now I'm coaching like some of the world's best off-road riders, which is freaking awesome. However, like my high performing pro level clients makes up actually a very small part of my overall business. So it's probably like less than 20 or 15% of my clients are guys that actually race at that, at the highest level of our sport. The majority or all of the, the rest of my clients are either kids like juniors who are coming up through the ranks who their goal is to be the next GNCC champ or AORC champ. And then the bulk of my clients are guys like Luke. They're vet riders who are still raced for the love of racing and they're just trying to build their body to up to the point where they can enjoy racing at the level that they're at without pain and, and go and have fun with their friends and family. So today I'm gonna to talk about three of my highest performing clients, but I take this concept and this process of coaching and my methods and I just apply it to all of my clients what whatever level they're at whether they're a pro a beginner or anywhere in between so if I looked at my three highest performing clients in terms of their like what a daily session training session looks like there's a lot of similarities so if you looked at their session side by side you would see a lot of similarities because I tend to program in a systemized way. So as an example, the first movement might, if it's a strength movement, the first movement might be a knee dominant movement. So it's a squat variation. So they might all be performing a squat, but it will be a variation of a squat that's best suited for them and improving their biggest weakness in a reps and set scheme that again is, is optimal for them to improve their biggest weakness and for where they're at in their racing season and what we're trying to achieve. Go down to the next set of exercises and it'll be the same. It might be a hip dominant movement. So as an example, a RDL variation. So again, they might just be performing a different variation of an RDL depending on what they need and so on and so forth throughout the workout. So if we looked at their daily workout, there's going to be a lot of similarities and a very similar structure. If we look over the course of their training week, we begin to see that there's that's where we start to see there's a fair few differences popping up. So there might be difference in training frequency and 
obviously a difference in training volume and also a difference in how many rest days they have. Like uh, what, a couple of my clients at that level are having two rest days a week, some weeks. So they're not grinding six, seven days a week. So again, that comes down to the, to the individual. And then if we extrapolate that out over a year and look at their training volume, intensity, frequency over the course of a year, massive difference, huge difference. So this is where load management comes into play. And this is where I think a lot of people can go a little bit wrong with their training or just think, you know, if Stu Baylor trains like this, I just like plug his program in and I'm going to kick ass. It's not how it works. If that was the case, like there'd be no need for, for a coach anywhere through the process because that's, that is the role of a good coach. Like load management is the art of coaching. So the role of a good coach is to help the individual athlete train with the perfect amount of volume suited to their situation that's going to move them forward. So every individual has different different schedule, different weaknesses, and a different ability to adapt to training. So I can give two people the exact same program, they're gonna adapt to it very differently. So what two different athlete needs to move forward is gonna be very different from one to the other. So their on-bike training also comes into that a lot. Like as over the course of their week, like that's a very personal thing and comes down to the, to the, like what they have available to train. Some of my clients live like with a ride park there. So they can like, they've got multiple tracks they can ride like five days a week. Some of my clients, they've got to travel to ride. So it's, it's more of a process for them to go and ride their bike and train. So it, some of them are riding five days a week. Some of them are only riding two days a week. So there's a huge amount of variation over the, the course of a training year. And again, that is the role of a good coach is to help the individual athlete train to improve their biggest limitations and improve their capacity to tolerate more volume. So it's this concept of uh, like we should like we should definitely feel there's going to be a point in our training week, uh, month, training block, wherever we are along that that's um, that schedule that we're going to feel fatigued. Like I'm not saying we should never feel tired or should never feel fatigued. Like that is the the goal of training. It's to place stress on the body and when the body recovers and adapts, it can tolerate more. It comes back stronger. So that is obviously the goal of training is to improve our capacity and get stronger, build more endurance. So we, there's definitely going to be some level of fatigue there. Um, and we definitely should know that we've done something. If we've moved the needle in our training, then we're going to know we've done something the next day. But this concept of like crushing ourselves in a workout to the point where we need a freaking walking frame to go to the toilet the next day. Like that doesn't mean that training session uh, had any more benefit to a training session that you feel like 
then that you wake up the next day feeling fresh 100% and ready to go again. So if you understand the concept behind especially strength and power training, which is the primary goal of what we're trying to improve for, for most athletes when we're racing dirt bikes because it is a strength and power dominant sport. We're trying to improve their strength and power output. That is a skill. Strength and power is a skill. So it's a neural adaptation. So the brain is getting better at creating the impulses, the strength of the impulses and the speed of the impulses to the muscles. So we don't want to be excessively fatigued when we're trying to do that. That is best done when we are feeling fresh and away from fatigue. So what I mean by that is you don't have to be doing crazy amounts of volume to improve strength and power. You want to be doing using loads and reps that keep you well away from failure. Like we're not grinding out reps till we can't move the weight anymore. Like if you want to put on muscle and and train for hypertrophy, which again comes down to the individual. I do have some clients that do want to put on a little bit of muscle, then yeah, they're gonna have to grind a little bit more and push those the loads and the reps closer to failure. If you want to put on muscle, you've just got to train closer to failure. If you want to improve your strength and power, then you don't need to or want to be going anywhere near failure. So we're training at an intensity that keeps us away from failure. And what that means is providing that our load is managed um, progressively to the individual. So we're not just going to go from doing three sets of five to 10 sets of 10 or 10 sets of eight, like from one week to the next. We're going to slowly build that capacity up in a progressive fashion. Then we shouldn't be getting any excessive soreness. Now, if you've come off the couch, if you haven't trained for a long time or ever for some people, then there's definitely going to be a window at the start there of like usually 10 to 14 days where you're going to experience some soreness. We're training, we're placing load on muscles in ranges that we may never have done or haven't done for years or months or whatever that is. So we may expect that there's a little bit of soreness there. Again, if our nutrition, our sleep and our hydration is where it needs to be, we should see that that subsides within sort of seven to 10 days and when training is performed consistently. So once we're training consistently, we've been training for six, eight, 12 weeks and longer, then we shouldn't see any excessive soreness coming in from a strength uh, workout. Again, you should, if you've been moving the needle, then you might, you definitely feel like you've done something the next day. Like I'm not saying we're never going to feel tired or we're never going to feel fatigued. However, we don't, our training shouldn't be crushing us to the point where we're limited in our movement and restricted for two to three days after it. Because remember the goal of training off the bike, when you when you ride a dirt bike and race a dirt bike, and that is your goal, the, the off bike training is to improve how we ride a dirt bike. The goal of our training off the bike is to improve the skill of riding on the bike. So if we're getting sore every other workout, it's unlikely we're gonna be able to perform the skill of riding a dirt bike at the level that we need to be able to perform it to get better at that. So 
training just needs to be improving those physical qualities that we need strength power cardiovascular endurance so that comes down to managing our loads effectively and and not doing we don't need to do any crazy amount of volume like even when we look at energy systems or cardio training like you can get like i'm all for zone two training and, and building up cardiac output you don't have to do it for three hours or four hours on a road cycle like you can get a really good stimulus and a training benefit in like a, a 30 minute um zone two session so it's really just comes down to time at intensity and you don't need to go crazy with volume like you can definitely do more than a 30 minute session for sure um, when it comes to doing like interval work, when we're trying to place more stress on the respiratory system and improve the endurance of the respiratory system and we start to bring that intensity up, like you really only need to be doing like 10, between 10 and 16 minutes at intensity. Like some of my clients get benefits doing even less than that. Like if they're a begin, if you're a beginner and you, you don't have much exposure to training, like you can get, you can do less than that. So 10 to 16 minutes if you break that down into to intervals like six times two minute intervals it's 12 minutes it's not very much it's it's a very small amount so long as the intensity is intense enough and we're spending that time and intensity then you're getting the stimulus that's going to cause the adaptation that we want to improve our output to improve our performance so like i'm not don't get me wrong i'm all for doing hard sessions don't get me wrong like i love i love doing like having a bro sesh with one of my mates and just like doing some crazy conditioning ward or workout or circuit that's great fun i love going on massive mountain bike rides and doing like crazy trail runs and stuff like me and a couple of buddies it's been like 2019 before covid we walked up hiked up Mount Bogong with our mountain bikes on our back from midnight. So we started at midnight on New Year's Day with our mountain bikes on our back. Not meant to take your mountain bikes up Mount Bogong, but we carried them on our backs. We got up there at 5 a.m., watched the sunrise, and then rode our bikes down the walking track to the bottom. That was awesome. I love doing stuff like that. I was pretty cooked for a, for a day or two after that because I got no sleep that night. So I'm all for like doing hard stuff, but you don't need to be doing it every single week. And especially when you're an athlete who's just trying to perform, again, it goes for the athletes at the highest level of our sport. And it also goes for the guys who are, if you're a vet rider and, and you just want to get better riding your dirt bike on the weekend, like consistency is the key, not intensity. So the more sessions you can complete in a 12-month window, and the more frequently you can complete those sessions, week in, week out, over 12 months, the better you will be. Like going mad fluctuations in intensity will most likely lead to inconsistent training. And when there's this inconsistent training, we're not going to progress as much as we can when we can perform consistent training. So like doing something that's like crazy hard, and and a long like long challenging whether whether it's a run or a mountain bike ride or some 
crazy workout. Where I see the benefit for that, there's like really when you break it down into what you're actually doing, there's not that much physical adaptation there that's going to provide us with this huge percentage of performance gain. The biggest benefit I see that we get from doing those long, hard sessions, one is testing some nutrition, like maybe you might test a hydration strategy or um, a fueling strategy, like a supplement, an electrolyte or carb supplement that you're testing to see how that works and some amounts um, amount of sodium, amount of calories per hour, etc. Really good way to to test that out is on like a long endurance session. Two is mental toughness. Like they're obviously good when you you when you put yourself into the well and push yourself to your limits. There is definitely some mental toughness to be gained from that. So again, we've got to look at the individual. If you're a young dude, you haven't really trained much, you haven't really pushed yourself very hard, you're probably going to gain a shitload of mental toughness from doing some some long, hard training sessions. So in that instance, you might gain, get some great benefits from doing something like that once every couple of weeks. Again, it doesn't have to be twice a week. It doesn't even have to be once a week. You can like stretch that out. Most of the guys that I train that are especially at the higher levels of our sport, mental toughness is not a weakness for them. They're like, they're at the cusp of of the highest performers in our sport. They got there because they're already mentally tough. So they don't need to do some three hour freaking 200 mile road bike ride up a fucking mountain to improve their mental toughness because they've already got that and they get it even more from the way they train in the gym by loading up a heavy barbell on their back by getting by ripping up heavy deadlifts so there's a lot of mental toughness that comes from our strength training and and also our energy system training but again to go back to my point, there is definitely mental toughness to be gained from those long, hard training sessions. You just got to ask yourself, is that actually my weakness? Like, am I mentally weak at the end of a race? If you are, then there's definitely going to be some benefit gained from putting yourself in that position in training. Again, it's not something I see most commonly. Like most guys that ride dirt bikes that are actually good at riding a dirt bike they're actually good at riding a dirt bike because they're already mentally tough, wherever that's come from. Whether it's the way they were brought up, their genetics, like whatever you want to say or whichever way you want to cut it, they've built that mental toughness and that is one of the reasons that they excel in our sport. So again, you got to just look at that and say, okay, what's my biggest weakness? Is it actually mental toughness? Or am I actually weak? Am I physically weak? I've got no muscular strength. I can't produce any power. Or my respiratory system is weak and it's fatiguing. So that's why I'm failing at the end of the race. So there's, or it could be my nutrition. I'm just running out of energy. Like my tank's empty because I don't eat enough during the week and I don't, I don't fuel myself enough 
for the race. So I'm running out of energy in the last hour of the race. So there's a whole host of things that can uh, can limit our performance in that last one hour of a race. So again, that's the role of a good coach is to help you figure that out. Like what is your biggest limitation? What's going to allow you to perform at a higher intensity that last hour of a race? So load management, super duper important. So again, that's the role, like that's the art of coaching and that's the role of a good coach is to help an athlete wherever you're at, whether you're a pro that's trying to win at the highest level or whether you're just a vet rider that's can only get three hours of training in a week and you're running your own business and dropping kids off at footy training and then like managing um, multiple workers at your business. Like there's a lot of other stress in your life. So that's going to affect how you manage your training load. Like you can't, you're probably not going to be able to just pile on um, three hour runs and three hour bike rides and all this other stuff because you've got so much other stress coming into your bucket in your life. So again, the the art of coaching is managing that load specifically to the individual because each individual's case is completely different. If there wasn't, like it'd be pretty freaking easy. If you could just like plug every person into the same program and they'd win, like it'd be pretty it'd be pretty easy to be a, a successful coach these days, but we all know that's not the reality of it. So that's like, and that's why I love coaching so much is because we're coaching human beings. So there's so many other factors like outside of the, the time spent at intensity, the, the nutrition, the sleep, the hydration, like outside of that, we're training a human being, not a robot. So the, the psychological factors that come into play are massive. So again, that's why I love coaching because that's being able to help an athlete work through that and build that relationship and help them manage that super duper important part of them excelling and getting success in their chosen sport. Obviously with me and here it's racing dirt bikes. So, so yeah, if, if, if you've experienced that, like, or if you're, that's just, it's a big red flag to me when someone tells me that they're always sore in training, um, then it's a, it's a red flag. Like the simplest ones I always come back to is nutrition, hydration, and sleep. Nine times out of 10, there's a, there's something there that's causing, um, poor recovery if we can tick that box, then we need to look at training volume. So if it's one of my clients, obviously I know what they're doing. So it's pretty simple for me to see. Doesn't generally happen to any of my clients because I'm programming for them. It might only happen if they have a few weeks off, if they have like a, um, a bit of an off season for whatever reason, and then they come back to training, then they might experience a little bit of soreness getting back in there. But when I have people like message me on Instagram and stuff and they'll say, Oh, I'm like, I'm cooked after every workout. I'm sore. Like that's I, that's what I tell them. Like nutrition, hydration, sleep, and then you need to look at your training volume. Like, is there wild fluctuations in your training volume? Because if there is, then that's potentially like a a pretty, pretty big red flag that's that's causing the problem. So that's it for today. Just a quick one. If you got any questions on 
that topic, then feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. Otherwise, bye for now. We'll see you on the next one.